Welcome everyone to the Witty Words of Wisdom podcast. Today I'm very excited to start the next book. It's called A Call Anatomy in the Bible by Kareen Helene. And before I start this book, I would like to say, All rights reserved, UCC 130 right. A Call Anatomy in the Bible, also Healing and the Disease in the Light of Rebirth in the Stars by Kareen Helene. Contents of this book. Part 1. Healing and Disease in the Light of Rebirth and the Stars. Part 2. Chapter 1. The Archetype or the Heavenly Pattern of the Human Body. Chapter 2. The Immaculate Conception. Chapter 3. Prenatal Adventures of Human Spirit. Chapter 4. Physiological Process Spiritually Interpreted. Chapter 5. You are the Temple of the Living God. Chapter 6, The Two Nervous Systems in the Relationship to Spiritual Development. Chapter 7, The Etheric Body and Its Role in the Sensitization of Composite Man. Chapter 8, The Blood and Archive Mystery. Chapter 9, The Role of the Ductless Glands in Spiritual Attainment. Chapter 10, The Desire Body. Chapter 11, Mind, Soul, and Spirit. Chapter 12, New Birth Three Regeneration. So we're going to start with Part one, part one, healing disease in the light of rebirth in the stars. If you had asked me what to study, I would say to yourself, and when you had studied well and would ask me what to study, I would again reply yourself. Permanent healing necessitates removal of conditions that cause disease. Those conditions go beyond the physical, usually originating anterior to present earth life. They have to do with the mental and emotional life of man. They are the result of some kind of disobedience, willful or ignorant of cosmic law. This truth was made plain by Christ Jesus when he asked his disciples, For whether is it easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and walk. Disease is rooted in sin, and sin is deviation from the perfect law. It is not therefore an arbitrary punishment meted, meted out to disobedient man by an offended deity, but the inevitable result of violations against nature's true and wholesome ways. Being out of harmony with the laws of life, disease appears and serves as a warning to the offender that the restoration of health necessitates conformity to the divine order. In his way, it becomes man's enlightener, painful only because he will not, for the most part, learn except through first-hand sorrowful experiences when he comes to recognize these truths and makes his necessary corrections and readjustments by which the causes of sickness are removed, the ill effects disappear and permanent healing becomes an established condition. This truth was bought out by the Christ when healing a man of lameness according to the record as related in John 5, 8, 14. Christ Jesus encountered a multitude which lay sick beside the pool of Bethesda, but it appears that there was only one amongst them who received healing. This was not because Christ Jesus did not have it in his heart to make all them all whole, but because he evidently discovered only one in whom he recognized a receptive spirit and the necessary faith to receive the healing which a divine ministration could bestow upon him. And so we read that the master told him who was healed, to take up his bed and walk, and that he did so. Later when Christ Jesus met him in the temple, he said, Behold, thou art made whole, 
sin no more, lest the worst thing come unto thee, thus reminding him that it is a violation of law, physical and spiritual, which brings on disease, whereas obedience thereto preserves wholeness. Again, in the Gospel of John, we read of the man born blind. To the query of the disciples as the cause, the Master replied, that the works of God, the Spirit within, should be made manifest. It is through suffering, pain, and limitation that the ego awakens to a realization of its own innate perfection. The Constitution of Man The pupils of Periclesis came to him with the question, Tell us, O Master, what is the mystery of nature and of man? What is the mystery of disease? And what are life and death? To which the ancient sage replied, If you would decipher man, if you were to decipher man, then you must understand that occult language which was revealed to the scholar, but concealed from the layman, the occult language to which Periclesis refers, is that of the mysteries which lie hidden in the great cycles of life and whose meanings are written in the stars therein, to be deciphered by those who have developed inner wisdom. Blessed indeed are the eyes that see and the hearts that understand something of the wonderful wonder workings of those laws which govern nature and man. In the light of the Western wisdom, man is an infinitely more than the externalized form, contacted with the outer senses. Man possesses a chain of vehicles, all of which the physical body alone accepted, are invisible to ordinary sight, which are nevertheless present, interpenetrating one another and functioning actively and maintaining the composite form through which the spirit manifests on this physical plane. When any maladjacent occurs between any of these several vehicles, the result is a disorder of some kind in mind, body, or both. The nature and degree of the dislocations determine the nature and the degree of the reluctant disease. To diagnose a disease perfectly is to lay bare the imperfect alignment between the bodies of man, visible and invisible. Therefore, the true physician, as Periclesis observes, studies the invisible man more earnestly than he does the visible. The body of man is threefold. It comprises the physical body, the vital body, which is its etheric counterpart, and the desire astral body. These three interpreting, interpenetrating, pardon me, vehicles are connected to the threefold spirit or ego by the link of mind, the mental vehicle. The ego has its seat in the head at the root of the nose and uses the blood as its special vehicle. The specialized physical vehicle of the etheric body is a granular system. That of the desired body is the nervous system. The deep and hidden causes which lie beyond the mystery of disease and healing, the origin of reason and for various infirmities, the length of their duration, duration and many other equally Interesting problems connected with this subject can be satisfactory solved, satisfactorily solved for the occultists only in light of the twin laws of rebirth and consequence. We will be greatly helped to a more adequate understanding of the complexity and profanity of our subject by first considering the prenatal conditions under which an ego works perpetuary per pre pardon me, let me, preparatory, preparatory, <laughs> I think it's prep, 
preparatory, there we go, preparatory to entering upon another incarnation in a new physical body. The initial work commences with the creation of the archetype in the likeness of which the physical body is formed. This living, vibrating, celestial pattern determines the size, form, and general appearance of the body, also the length of the lifespan. The quality and strength of the archetype, be it well remembered, are dependent upon the ego's previous earth lives. It is formed of the life forces generated in the past by the self, by the spirit itself, these forces being a synthesized extract of the individual's previous experiences on earth. When an earth life has been lived under limited negative and inharmonious conditions, and this would include all manner of lack, evil, and disease, the essence, essences drawn there from will be of corresponding quality. Since it is out of this essence that the new archetype is formed, it will be composed of elements generated in the past and the fruits which appear in the next physical body upon used by the ego. We have to but to observe the average human vehicle to realize how unwisely humanity as a whole has treated its physical instruments and how little it recognized thoughts and deeds as a causative factor of health or disease in its body. As a man thinks, so is he. The law of reaping as we sow obtains on all planes of being. We are what we are because of what we have been and what we will, and what can be what we will to be when we come into a realization of the creative power of thought and acquire the ability to direct it as we will. There is no limitation placed upon man but that which he imposes upon himself. When people generally have come to accept understandingly the law of rebirth from this viewpoint, a new and emancipated race, a race that will be truly heirs and joint heirs with Christ, will come into being. The law of rebirth which decrees that an ego returns to earth Life again and again until all the lessons of the material plane have been learned, its possibilities fully explored, and its powers completely mastered, is sometimes misinterpreted by those who have not looked fully into the subject as imposing unnecessary limitations on the spirit of man. But rightly understood, the law of rebirth comes as a liberating truth, pointing the way to repeated opportunities for the exercise of our God-given faculties until these be unfolded to the divine fullness in accordance with the ordered processes of evolving life as these operate on all planes of being throughout the universe. It is the law of rebirth that enables man to become indeed the master of his fate and captain of his soul. Stellar harmonics, sometime we shall all know that evolution progresses in harmony with the musical scale and that each incarnating spirit responds in soul measures to one of the seven spirits before the throne of God, or astrologically speaking, the seven planets in our solar system. Esoterically, only seven planets are native to our system. The planet to which the ego is keyed determines the rhythm of the archetype, which in turn transmits the same dominant note to the vehicle making up the personality persona mask through which the spirit functions during earth life. Although when planetary note is paramount, the blended tones of the six others also operate in forming the celestial fabric. 
the planetary bodies are vehicles of indwelling planetary spirits, and as their physical motion is continuous so, too is the activity of the spirits in souling them. Their radiations influence everything within the sphere of their operations from the most minute atom to the largest orb within our solar system. How much of this influence the ego can receive and build into its life's pattern depends upon its development, which in turn is determined by the quality and quantity of the experience garnered into soul growth during previous incarnating cycles. When, for instance, the high note of, the, of a trine between the sun and Neptune is sounded in the heavens, if the spirit has not yet awakened the latent quality, qualities making it capable of responding to this lofty inspirational impulse which, when appropriated, it may manifest in the individual life leads to the exalted state we speak of as an initiation. Nothing whatsoever of consequence happens in terms of consciousness. The effect of this failure to respond when such a tone was sounded will be an absence of such planetary tendency in the archetype of the next embodiment. If by way of further example a person reacts to the forces of a square between the same two planets and experiences, its effect and conditions of negative psychism and mediumship tendencies to remanifest those conditions will appear in the next earth life. If the temptation to yield to negativity under such an aspect be mastered, and consciousness raised to levels where it maintains itself untouched by the indesirable manifestations of the square, a similar aspect will not have to be met in the next earth life. If it has not been mastered, it will reappear. Since the weakness remains to be overcome, earth life is a school and the planetary spirits before the throne are among our celestial teachers. They do not compel us to live thus or so, but they do impel us to live in harmony with their ordered ways and in obedience to the laws of the universal good. As is our life, so is the signature of the stars. If this truth be borne carefully in mind, the erroneous conception held by the uninformed that astrology implies fatalism is forever removed. Whatever be the design formed by the lines of force which we have admitted and directed within our being, it is imposed upon our present archetype and will be transferred from it to the next. This pattern is reflected in our physical body where it is expressed as health or disease, depending on whether the forces have been drawn into patterns of beauty and harmony or of ugliness and discord from the self-created penalties according to the misdirection of forces or to speak astrologically from the misinformation or, pardon me, misfortune of malignity Malefic stellar aspects, man frees himself when he learns the ways of divine laws and lives in obedience to them. Liberation from the bondage of bad aspects comes with the awakening of the Christ within. The illumination that follows such an awakening leads to a life of love and beauty. Lines of discord disappear from the archetype, and in due course, the reflected dis-ease in the physical body also disappears. The released powers of the Christ within also strengthen the rhythm of the archetype giving it to the body at a physical figure and sometimes a prolongation of life. Those who honor their father and mother, that is, those who live in obedience to the laws of their creator, are promised length of days. An example of life prolonged may be cited in the biblical character of good King Hezekiah. Music in relation to well-being. 
As previously stated, evolution proceeds in harmony with the rhythms of the musical scale. The tone of the particular planet to which an ego is attuned sets the keynote of the archetype. And later, when the embryonic vital sheath is placed by the angels within the body of the expectant mother, it is set to the same musical key as is sounding in the archetype. The physical envelope is molded into an exact replica of the vital body, the medium for the inflow of the vitalizing life force. The physical body, therefore, is also built in harmony with the same musical rhythm. When this fact is recognized, it becomes clear how the harmonious relationship of the ego with its bodies means health and how a dissonance between it and its vehicles produces disease. Overexhaustion, anger, emotional excess of any kind, rich and heavy foods taken in excess, all have a tendency to lower the nutritional tone of the vital body and thus disturb the musical balance of the entire organism. Bodies are then more easily susceptible to inharmonious reactions and such weaknesses as exist in the archetype are most liable to reappear. What these are, what these are will be seen in the radical horoscope of a person's nature since this in truth, which this is in truth a picture of the soul. Wherever squares and oppositions are found, disharmony is most likely to appear. A scientific analysis of all factors involved points to a nature of mental or physical ailment that is likely to manifest. Remember, however, that the awakened Christ within can lift a man above the inscribed lines of causation. As we realize that disease is really a musical in harmony, sweet bells jangled out of tune, as the poet put it, we also begin to understand something of the tremendous part that music will assume in the healing practice of the future. If every person were sufficiently sensitized to be able to rise in consciousness to where he could listen to his own particular keynote, the words of the master physician, heal thyself, would bear new and more far-reaching significance. But since this is not possible, other methods must be employed in the meantime. Relief from disease comes as the rhythm of the vital body is raised and strengthened, Health or harmony is permanently restored when the lines of harmony are definitely reestablished within the archetype. Thus we see how inadequate pills and powers become in the light of this understanding, and how essential is the power of spiritual thinking and the transformed mind as advocated by the great Christian metaphysician, metaphysician Paul. One of, the post, one of the most potent means of lifting the tone of the vital body is by the use of spiritual affirmations. Many portions of the Bible are particularly, I believe it's efficacious in this work. The 23rd Psalm and the first chapter of John's Gospel being familiar and notable examples. Certain music, a poem, or excerpts from a well-loved book are also helpful in producing the required results. If we would be immune to disease, it is necessary that the practice of lifting the consciousness to a point where it contracts the tone of spirit must be performed faithfully at regular intervals, preferably in the earthly morning hours and at night on retiring, as best to use consistently the same affirmation as in time every atom of our bodies, both visible and invisible, will respond instantaneously to the tone of the affirmation used. Deep rhythmic 
harmonious breathing is also an important factor in the rehabilitation of both inner and outer man. Breath is fundamental to the physical life, and as we learn to ascend in consciousness, we shall also learn to breathe in the powers of the Holy Spirit. This will enable us to transcend the limitations of disease and to even conquer that last of all and many death itself. I want to thank you all again for tuning in to the podcast. You can check out the link tree in my description for exclusive access to the Patreon where all videos are released a week early. I have all the latest videos up there before they are released. Then I also have ways to donate, such as the Patreon, where you could just send money via PayPal to help support the cause, continue this information. The more donations I receive, the better it is for me to be able to continue this content. Then I also have the link for my t-shirts that I've released and the book. My book, you can use the code SAVE25 at checkout to save $25 that's all. Thank you so much for being part of this, and I hope you enjoy the rest of the episode. God bless you. Disease classifications. All forms of disease may be divided into two classes, namely chronic and acute. A study of disease in the light of rebirth has shown that mental weakness in one life usually react as physical, physical infirmities in the next and Contrarywise, that physical abuse take their aftertoll in mental disabilities. Mistaken attitudes of mind, whatever they may be, build lines of force into the seed of atoms of the desire and mental bodies from which they are later transferred to or set in the archetype. From the archetype, they are in turn transmitted to the ego's next vital and physical bodies where they will appear as lines of inharmony or disease either chronic or acute. There, they remain until the indwelling spirit has learned the lesson imposed by the infirmity. The cause will then be removed, after which the effect will permanently disappear. Any form of healing that does not remove the cause is obviously impermanent. Every true healer endeavors to awaken within the patient a realization of his own innate divinity. And the degree the patient realizes inner powers and utilizes them rightly does he demonstrate health and wholeness of mind and body. Were we able to observe the subtler interpenetrating vehicles of the composite man, we would see the processes of restoration going on simultaneously in the entire chain of vehicles from those within to those outside the physical. There are four elements from which all things are composed. These elements are called fire, air, water, and earth. All diseases may be classed under one or another of these four headings. For instance, infirmities caused by al alcoholic indulgence, cancers, and fevers are of a fiery nature. Mentor, pardon me, mental aberrations and diseases caused by the excessive use of drugs come under the airy element. Malformed bodies and abnormal growths belong to the earthy element. Diseases of the stomach, digestive tract, and the assimilative and granular systems associated with the watery element. Astrological affinities. 
there are four fundamental types of persons correlating with the 12 zodiacal signs. These 12 signs may be subdivided into four groups. Of three each, according to the element to which they belong, they make up what we speak of astrologically as the four triplicities. A healer will most be successful in dealing with ailments that come under the same element as does his ruling sign. The physician who comes under the fiery Leo sign, for instance, will have greater ability for curing patients who are under a sign of compatible element and for healing ailments belonging to the fiery element. Most healers, if not all, of every school regardless of whether or not they recognize the astrological factors, admit they are more successful in treating some patients and healing some types of disease than others. The key to this is to be found in a common element linking healer and patient together. And also, the third factor, the ailment to be cured. These are the facts that lead to specialization even though they are yet unknown to the average practitioner making such choice. A healer with the sign and the fiery cardinal sign Aries will be most successful in the treatment of acute diseases, one with the sun and the fiery sign fixed Leo. In chronic modalities, one with the sun and the fiery mutable sign Sagittarius will serve most effectively as a nurse. Similarly, a healer coming under their earth rider will prove most successful with the type of disease governed by his ruling sign. If that be Capricorn, it will be acute maladies. If Taurus, chronic, and in Virgo, the healing that comes chiefly from nursing. Under the airy ray, Gemini governs acute illnesses, Aquarius, chronic, Libra, the nurse. Under the watery ray, Pisces acute, Scorpio chronic, Cancer the nurse. As we come closer to the cooperative age of Aria Aquarius, healing groups will be established to work along specialized lines determined by fundamental fitness as this is ascertainable by reference to the science of the stars. This knowledge will be applied in schools of healing and hospitals and in general practice of healing. There will be formed healing groups of 12 or multiples thereof in which the combined and properly proportioned forces of all the 12 zodiacal signs will become operative to a degree of efficiency not possible short of such organization. Such a group will become a power as a group, and each individual in it working intelligently along his own specialized ray will function with enhanced ability as a result of his coordination with the fellow practitioners possessing complementary forces which in their completeness serve the whole of man and nature. The results of such concerted efforts will be so remarkable and far-reaching that many who come to scoff will remain to praise. Macrocosm and Microcosm Man is a microcosmic universe. The laws which govern the starry spheres apply equally to the bodies of man. Every atom in the universe and in man is in continuous rotation. In health, the movement is from left to right, and disease from right to left. Positive constructive thinking also produces the clockwise motion, negative destructive thinking, 
counterclockwise. Viewed clairvoyantly, any abnormal growth in the body is seen to be composed of atoms rotating negatively and out of harmony with the keynote of the vital body. The strong constructive thought of a healer, reinforced by appropriate affirmations on the part of both healer and patient, has the power to reverse this motion and thereby disingenerate the diseased atoms after which comes the restoration to health. Dr. Alexis Carroll, in his richly informative and illuminating work, Man the Unknown, observes that science studies intensely men's liver, kidneys, and all their physical functions, everything except the only important function, which is thought. Life is vibration. It is the eternal essence manifesting at a certain rate of motion. When the vibratory rate falls below a given point, disease is the result, and when it falls still lower, death ensues. At that point, the forces of disintegration overtake those of attraction and cohesion. Vibration offers the key to the secrets of health and disease, of youth and age, of death, and its eventual surrender to immortal life. The Burden of Fear People who suffer greatly today from contagious diseases, repeated epidemics, take their toll of tens of millions. Fear plays an important part at such times. Where the disease itself takes the lives of hundreds, it is perhaps true that fear claims victims by the thousands. Thought becomes very obviously the most important factor of cure and control under such situations. If people recognize the importance of Dr. Carroll's statement quoted above, and gave attention to the power of thought, the problem of con- con- I believe it's contagion would be largely solved. Fear is paralyzing in its effects. It slows down the motion of the atoms of both the mental and the physical bodies. The rhythmic harmony between the several vehicles is disturbed with the inevitable result of disease of some kind. When an epidemic sweeps over a city, the psychic atmosphere takes in a on a leaden aspect. It is gray and heavy with the accumulated fear thoughts of the masses. The glaring headlines in the daily papers add to the scare by stirring up emotions of fear through screaming aloud the numbers who are ill and the fatalities as they increase. Added numbers to come. This alone is a sinister influence of tremendous power. It is largely responsible for lowering the consciousness of a community in time of an epidemic to such an extent that it becomes a task of major proportions for the average individual to rise above it. How truly Jobs spoke for how truly Jobs spoke for multitudes of others when he exclaimed, That which I feared hath come upon me. Pardon me, that was Job spoke of. It's, it's a, talking about the Bible. When these facts are known and acted upon, effective measures can be taken to avoid fear and remain immune to contagion. Let the mind remain faithfully centered in truth and in calm and in calm and in confidence meditate on the divine power within that is available whenever called into action. Use such affirmations as strengthen and poison faith. The twenty third and the 91st Psalms have magical power for alleviating fear. Let those rhythms enter into the very recesses of the subconscious mind by repetition and by meditation upon their divine assurances. Avoid reading about disease or discussing the subject unnecessarily, never negatively. 
refused to permit any of its lurid details to be pictured upon your mind. The image-building faculty of mind, imagination, is one of the most powerful tools. It may be used constructively or destructively. It can rebuild a broken body or tear down a healthy one. The power to do one or the other lies within ourselves. It is also to be noted in this connection that in accordance with the law of retributive justice, those who knowingly or ignorantly implant fears of contagion during epidemics in the hearts of individuals or communities become the victims of their own unfortunate sowing in this or in another life. Hereditary Diseases Hereditary diseases can be rightly understood only in the light of rebirth. The law of heredity is the counterpart of the spiritual law of rebirth. When strained to include facts explicable only by a reference to the, letter, to the latter law, it becomes a fallacy. The average individual attributes, attributes to heredity power is not belonging to it. This is one of the many Many limiting misconceptions have yet to be outgrown. While it is true that parents supply the physical atoms for building and building the infant body of an incoming ego, and that a pure body cannot be provided by parents whose bodies are charged with poisons and disease, it must never be forgotten that the incarnating ego need not remain subject to such limitations. It possesses the power to nullify every negative condition passed on to it under the law of heredity. It can remake its physical body, atom for atom. As for the qualities of character, these are not the product of hereditary or environment. They belong to the individual soul, and the soul is the child of its own previous creation. The reason it receives by hereditary and imperfect body is due to its own causation. It has broken and perfect. It has broken laws of God and nature in the past and therefore finds itself in physical imperfection until such time as it seizes such violations and obeys the law of health and harmony. No time limit is placed on when this may occur. It is whenever the ego chooses to leave the path of pain for ways of lasting joy that time may be now. Where similarly Similarity of character between parents and children would appear to indicate that hereditary applied the most obvious fact. Disproving such a conclusion is the number of cases of extreme dissimilarity. The explanation for the similarity is the law of attraction that normally brings together egos of approximately like development and of similar tastes and interests. An ego comes into earth life, carrying with it in latency, all the powers and abilities that is acquired in past lives, together with such an increment as it is has added during its period in the intervals between the last earth life and the one upon which it enters next, the time between earth lives is not one of idleness, it is one of the intense purposeful activity. Normally, growth and progress are continuous and uninterrupted. The body in which the ego of function will be built, as previously stated, a material supplied by the parents. The quality of that material will be in accordance with the individual's past causation. If, in past lives, 
he has incorporated lines of discord or weakness or tendencies to certain diseases and to his body that will exist in his present archetype. And by the law of attraction, he will gravitate to parents who will supply materials of similar nature. Thus, the ego will fashion a body susceptible to certain specific weaknesses, but in accordance with causes set up in past lives by himself, not because he chanced to meet this misfortune of a parentage over which he had no control. To believe the latter would be to deny the existence of justice in the world and to affirm that we incarnate, whether ill, good or bad, by caprice and not according to desert. It were to deny the operation of natural law in the moral sphere and the supervision of a divine father, he who is love and no respecter of persons, who provides equal opportunity for all his children to become perfect, even as he is perfect. In addition to the general law of attraction, which brings similarly stationed individuals into family, community, and racial groups, there are usually specific ties of an intimate nature from the past that link individuals together in family relationships. There are causations to be reaped, pleasant fruits to be harvested, grievous debts to be paid, most frequently something of both. Let it be repeated again, for it cannot be repeated too often, but it is not to be inferred from the above that we are helplessly bound by the past, the unfortunate links the unfortunate links forged under the law of causation between people may be severed by entering into a realization of the truth that sets us free. The chains of past causation and the bonds of heredity hold us only so long as we permit them to do so. We are in the bondage of the law of material thinking. We are free in Christ's spiritual realization. Hypnotism. The practice of hypnotism carries serious consequences both to the practitioner and his subjects. It involves interference with the free will of an ego. The hypnotist projects his own mind into the brain of another and makes the victim subject to his will. Even where this is done with the unselfish purpose of freeing a person of an enslaving habit of drugs or liquor, it is not justifiable. The cure is not permanent until the sufferer himself has conflict conquered the weakness, and therefore, when a hypnotist cures the body by ejecting the will of the ego using it, su supplanting it with his own willpower, he has merely deprived the ego of the opportunity to learn the lesson that it must someday master. The immediate seeming gain is really a loss. The lesson to be learned has been delayed. Also, the willpower of the victim has been weakened by the process. Free will is an ego most priceless heritage during the earth pilgrimage. For another person to supplant that will with his own or in any way to weaken it, even though the motives for doing so be of the highest, is to bring upon himself disastrous consequences by the power of the will, the ego mounts the ladder of evolution that leads to godhood. That will is weakened in the individual who submits to hypnotism in which the state of the hypnotist brings the will of the hypnotized completely under his domination, but a person cannot be put under the spell if his own will is more positive than that of the hypnotist. When control over another is for the purpose of idle amusement or in order to gain some selfish advantage, the consequences of the wrong are yet more serious. There are none more so. 
Those who surrender their will to another have the task of regaining the willpower that has been lost. Those who have victimized others will be called upon under the law of justice to assist their victims to regain their weakened powers. They are also liable to serious physical infirmities and future embodiments such as the frequent fate of professional hip fate of a professional hypnotist. Through a misshapen, useless body, the spirit will learn the enormity of the wrong of making another's body helpless by substituting his own will for that of its rightful occupant. The widespread practice of hypnotism in our time, together with the flood of literature favorable to the subject, is another evidence of the dis disintegrating forces that are threatening to overtake our civilization and bring about its collapse, integrity in the full meaning of that word is the great need of our time, integrity in our personal and public life, integrity in commercial, professional, and governmental life. Man must become a harmoniously unified functioning being before he can build a successful life and so become a sound unit and the upbuilding of a healthy community, a wholesome culture, and an enduring civilization. Mental illness. Medical science is far less materialistic today than it was in the last century. It is confronted with facts that are compelling it to recognize that it must learn how to minister to disease, to diseased minds no less than to diseased bodies. The nature and behavior of the psyche or soul has become an object of extensive medical research and has so far developed as to have given rise to psychiatric as a recognized branch of medical practice. While the psyche is still popularly regarded as a term pertaining to mind only and not the higher vehicle of the soul, yet the direction of a medical science scientific thought is steadily moving away from the form of material concepts which regarded man solely as a physical being and is now coming gradually to an acceptance of man's composite nature as taught and both religious doctrines and occult science. The pressure of the facts of everyday life is compelling the reluctant omission from hitherto confirmed materialists that mind is superior to matter, and that cures call for more than drugs. The untold number of mental cases that are now being treated in hospitals in the United States alone, together with another vast number of Unhospitalized cases, estimated anywhere from 7 to 14 million, have of necessity called forth a new and rapidly growing class of healers that we have come to development to know as psychiatrists or mind therapists. The next logical development in the healing ministry will be the restoration of the healing that combined religion and science as practiced by the priest physician, the chief of whom was the Lord Christ the healer of healers, who came to earth that men might be restored to wholeness and well-being. Mental diseases are of many kinds and gradations. The most prevalent is psychoneurosis, or neurosis for short. This is characterized by conflicting emotions and bad adjustment to environment. There is wanting a proper adjustment to environment. Pardon me. There is wanting a proper integration of body, mind, and soul. The several principles or bodies of the outer and inner man have fallen out of perfect alignment and hence fail at times to function as a unit. There is a split, hence the expression split personality or schizophrenia. It is technically 
turned. This has been defined as a split between the sense of the actual and the ideal, the state of mind of one who is unable to face certain unpleasant realities and so withdraws it into an unreal world of his own. This concludes the reading of part one. We will continue part one on the next episode. Again, please check the link tree in the description. And I hope you enjoyed the episode. Thank you for tuning in. I'll catch you on the next episode. God bless you. Have a great weekend.